Borada, that's Welsh for good morning. Shamai Pau, but that's Welsh for hi, y'all. Uh, it, it's lovely to be here. Uh, I have to admit that uh, I arrived here last Wednesday and my clock has not shifted. Uh, I have not slept past 3.45 in the morning since I've come here. So if you hear snoring during the sermon, it's going to be me. Uh, but it, it's lovely to be here again. The last time I was here was about three weeks before the pandemic hit. So I'm counting on this visit resulting in three weeks' time the pandemic will vanish. Uh, and it will be your fault that you didn't get me back much earlier to end the pandemic. But uh, it is, it's, it's, it's lovely to be here and, uh, and to have this opportunity to, to, uh, to preach a sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In 2015, just on, the, on a whim, I decided to pack up my backpack, catch a flight to Alessund, Norway, and spend a week backpacking in the Sunmore Alps all by myself. I'd never done anything like that before. I've done plenty of backpacking, but never by myself going to a country I'd never been to before. The first thing I encountered was sticker shock. I don't know if you've ever been to Norway or not, but it is horrendously expensive. Uh, I got a um, hamburger, fries, and a beer, and it cost me 45 pounds. That's about, what, $70? So it was a good thing that I was going to be backpacking and carrying most of my food with me. So I caught a bus down to this remote valley and started on this route that I had devised very carefully from the maps I had at home that was going to take me through some other valleys and up a high mountain that would be overlooking a fjord and then back around. I was initially surprised because there was a lot more snow around than I was predicting. In fact, as I was walking up this narrow valley, with wonderful forests of beach. All the, on the slopes on either side, avalanches kept pouring down. Not huge ones, but enough to think, I'm glad I'm not going to be going in either of those directions. After about two hours, I began to get signs that perhaps this was not the cleverest idea I had ever had. And by the time I got about two-thirds the way up the valley, I hit a mountain of snow. I should have just turned back at that time, but I thought, no, I know this route is going to take me to this hut where I can spend the night. I'm going to press on. Start raving mad. Here I am by myself, foreign country. Nobody knows where I am. If anything happens to me, uh, uh, I'm, you know, they'll, they'll dig me out the next summer. Uh, by the way, my mother hates this story. But I continued on. I thought, no, I'm going to do it. So I went trudging through this snow, uh, past some beautiful landscapes, dark pools of water, and then encountered a wall of snow that probably was about as high as this ceiling. Now, I am an idiot, so not even that stopped me. I got up my trekking poles, and I went up to the top. And at the top, I finally had to admit defeat, because in front of me lay this great big valley that I was aiming for, and it was buried in snow. 
So then I had to turn around, work my way back down to where there was no snow, and pitch my tent and rethink my route. But it's a common place in trekking that you have to recognize when it's time to turn around. Many a mountaineer dies because they get so close to the summit, very close to like the summit of Everest, and even though they know a storm is coming, they can't resist continuing on. You yourself may have had that experience where you begin to think that you're lost, but as soon as you begin to think that you're lost, especially if you're a man, another voice goes, no, nah, you're not lost. You're just a little confused right now. Just keep looking at that map and you'll figure it out. And you keep going. And because you keep going, you get more and more lost. That is kind of the thread of the two readings we had this morning from both Nehemiah and the Gospel. Nehemiah, it's a wonderful scene. It's one of these scenes that people just don't know, but it's a great scene. The people have been in exile. If you know your Old Testament, I know we're Anglicans and we don't know our Old Testament, but just pretend like you know your Old Testament. If you know your Old Testament, you will know that eventually because of the faithlessness, because of the disobedience of Israel, they were carted off into exile to modern-day Iraq and Iran, where they were the slaves of the Babylonians for hundreds of years. And eventually they make their way back home under the Persians, under Cyrus the Great. They're allowed to go home and to rebuild the temple. But because they've been gone so long, they have forgotten who they are. They have forgotten who they are to such an extent that when Ezra the priest brings out of the temple the law, the law that had formed them as a people in the wilderness, the law that the Lord had given them as a way of demonstrating that he was their God and, he, and they were his people, that law they had entirely forgotten. Ezra had to bring it back out and remind them who they were and because they had forgotten who they were, to show them that they had strayed. They had strayed from faithfulness and had to return to being the faithful people that the Lord had redeemed them from bondage in Egypt to be. And the beautiful thing is they do respond. They respond in a wonderful way. They have a big party. They say, isn't this great? Amen, amen. And they repent of their ways and they pledge themselves to be obedient to the law. So now we get the gospel. Jesus returns home. It's always difficult for a priest to return home. He returns home to preach. And he is asked to interpret the law. And what, what is the practice back then at a synagogue worship is the men were expected to be able to get up to interpret the law, interpret the law, sort of preach about whatever that reading was for the day. It's one of the reasons why in the ancient world the Jews were the most literate people, because there was that expectation to be able to read the law, read the readings, the prophets as well. And so Jesus, you know, 
good boy, done good. We're going to ask him to get up and preach. And he gets up and he reads this familiar reading of Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah. And in Jesus' day, the people were longing for the Messiah to return, to vindicate them against those dratted Romans who were occupying the Holy Land, to finally show to the world that they were his people and he was their God. They longed for this, but their expectation of who the Messiah was going to be was nothing like Jesus. He was much more like King Arthur. He was the once and future king. He was going to be a warrior king who would come back and lead them in battle against the Gentiles, against the pagans, and they would defeat him. So nothing Jesus had been doing at that moment would have led them to think for a moment that he was the Messiah. And then he gets up and he reads this text about the Messiah and all the wonderful things the Messiah would do. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap for joy. And then he says, this is being fulfilled in your midst. Now the reading this morning ends there, quite, quite strangely. But put yourself in their feet. I mean, if Colin came in one morning and opened up the scripture about the Messiah and said, yep, that's me, you probably wouldn't respond too well. And that's exactly how they respond. They drag him out and they try and throw him off a cliff. They respond so badly. Because they were wrong. They misunderstood what the Lord was asking for them. But unlike in Nehemiah's day, when presented with the truth, they refused to listen. They refused to listen. So in the first, in the Nehemiah reading, if it's like someone who's lost in the wilderness but is then told which way to go, they responded by going in that direction. Where in Jesus' day, those who especially were the powerful part of the establishment, those who were the rulers of the Jews, as, they, as it puts it in the gospel. When they heard the truth, when they were told that they were lost, had gone astray, they kept going, becoming more and more lost. And so Jesus comes to us in exactly the same way, both individually in those times in our life where we are going astray where we are lost. And more often than not, when he comes to us in those moments, he comes to us telling us we need to stop. We need to stop and take note of what we're doing, of where we are, and to listen to what he is now telling us, telling us how to return to the right path, how to go where we need to go. The problem is, is we have such strong expectations, like the person who's absolutely determined he or she is not lost, can't admit that even when looking at the map that they've gone astray. We don't want to listen. We want to prove ourselves right. And that's why we need each other. We need the grace that Jesus gives us not only in ourselves, but as a community to hold each other to the right path, to hold each other to that faithful way. 
But Jesus comes to us as a community as well. We can individually go astray, but we can as a community go astray. We can as a church go astray. And so we must continually listen, continually be willing to say, boy, we're getting it wrong. Boy, we're going in the wrong direction. And that requires one of the least respected virtues of today. That requires humility. One of the first things you have to learn if you take up trekking or mountaineering is humility. If you think when you put that pack on at the beginning, oh yeah, I can carry that. 30, 50, 70 miles of carrying that pack will tell you if you've got too high of an opinion of yourself. My wife always says I have much too high of an opinion of what she can carry. And so we need that humility to always, in essence, doubt ourselves, not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that allows Jesus to speak to us, to get past our ego, to get past our defensiveness, to get past all those blocks that we can put up between us and him. But he will always try. He will always be there. He will always be there to take us by hand if we're willing, perhaps standing behind us and giving a swift kick in the backside if we need it, but to get us back on that path. May we all have that humility to stop, to pray, to reflect, so that in those moments we can be brought back to the straight and narrow and be those truly faithful people that we are called to be. May he make it so. Amen.